This week has been tough. Are there, is there any, anyone agree with me on that? It really does at times seem like our world is coming apart at the seams. The advent of the smartphone, which puts a television broadcasting studio in everyone's palm, has brought to our attention in more ways than we could begin to imagine uh, a lot of the negative that's going on. Saw things this week I didn't like. Saw things this week that made me mad. Saw things this week that broke my heart. And then I heard from the Lord. See, this is not about which lives matter. This is about my life loving God. Guys, our country's broke because our love's broke. We're all loving the wrong stuff. Loving the wrong stuff. We're ready to pair off into groups and point fingers at others. Instead of loving one another, embracing one another, walking together. And as I've been wrestling with this, a question came to my mind. We're hearing about all the, all the negative. We hear, we got names for all this stuff. I mean names and then photographs. And then in the next day, you, you see biographies. And you know what their wife's name is and how many kids they've got and whether they've got grandparents. We know if they, where they worked and what they did. And we know if they've got a, back, a criminal background. We know, I mean, it's, it, 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 in no time flat, we got all this detail and all this information. You know the one thing I'm not hearing? I don't hear the same detail about the Good Samaritans, do you? What's happening to the Good Samaritans? What is it about our country right now that so focuses on, on the, 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 the tiny part of our population that is doing things they ought not? That we totally and completely look over those who, are, who may be doing good. Well, I'm going to tell you why. Because there ain't as many good Samaritans as there used to be. What happened? I'd like to look at that with you this morning if you don't mind. Because really, it's not a new problem. It's an old problem. And uh, I think we can, we can figure it out. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. The book of Luke chapter 10 and I'll begin reading in verse 25 as we talk about what is happening to the Good Samaritans. As you arrive, would you please let's stand together. I, I'd really like for your attention to be on the Word of God this morning in a, in, a, in a very pointed way. Can I point out something right out of the chute? Part of the problem that we've got going on in our country right now is that everyone's pulling in different directions and a lot of it is being uh, is really being propelled by people who uh, who um, are in the business of studying law, and it's kind of where we start with this. We've got a we we've got people pulling fourteen different ways on the same set of laws. He says here, beginning in verse twenty five, and behold, a certain what mm. stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what's written in the law? What is your reading of it? He's, do you realize he's giving this guy 
a platform to wax eloquent on his expertise in the law. Okay? And the guy's fixing to do it, but he's fixing to stick his foot in his mouth. So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And all God's children can easily say, Mm -hmm. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting he, that's the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, what? Wanting to justify himself? What's going on with this guy? Why is this lawyer asking questions if the, and answering rightly and then going on and trying to make something else up? I don't, I don't get this guy, but he's sticking his foot in his mouth. And he says, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus launches in to one of the sweetest parables in all of, all of Scripture. Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he had departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Father, open our hearts and our minds. May we take good accounting and evaluation of our own heart. May we stop waiting for others to go and do likewise. And may we ourselves begin to do likewise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. It's really interesting. The man knew the right answers. The lawyer knew the right answers. How many of you all realize that Jesus was once asked a question? Which is the greatest commandment? Y'all remember that? Do y'all remember that Jesus' answer was almost verbatim, this particular passage of Scripture? And then he said, and the second is likened to the first, which is love your neighbor as yourself. In the book of Romans, we're told that all of the law can be summed up in this one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. I want to tell you the reason America right now is in, the, is in one, of, one of the reasons that she's in the shape she's in with all this contention is that we don't love our neighbor. We love us. We love our way, our advantage, our, our stuff. Don't get in my way of doing what I want to do. I want to do no matter who else it, it bothers. I want to do what I want to do, and you just got to stand by and watch. We don't love our neighbor. That's rough, but we don't. Preacher, you shouldn't say that because I love my neighbor. 
Who's your neighbor? You know what I know about us? I know that we pick and choose our neighbors very carefully. We pick and choose the people that we'll be nice to. We pick and choose the people that will reach out and help. We're not selfless nor uh, just, just entirely impartial in what we do. We pick and choose. Y'all know I'm telling the truth, right? We pick and choose. And I'm going to tell you why we pick and choose. Because we can't stand as Americans somebody misusing my hard-earned help. Tell me I'm wrong. We don't want to help somebody and then find out, well, do you know what they did with that? Okay. Can I point out one other thing to you? Every time we think in terms of loving our neighbor, we always think in terms of supplying need to the poor. Nowhere in this passage does it indicate that the man who was waylaid was poor. Nowhere does it say he was poor. He was in need, and need comes in a whole lot of different forms. Some people just need a friend. Some people need an ear. Some people need counseling. I need to say this. I'm, I'm... this one is far, way overdue. Are y'all ready? <laughs> I think one of the most critically needed ministries in all of the modern church is easy access to a Christian counselor. We, everyone, have gotten our eggs scrambled at one time or another, and we just weren't thinking straight. And it would have been a big help, a critical help even at times, for us to have someone we could go sit down with, a trained Christian counselor, and to walk us through why we're feeling the way we're feeling and where we got off track in our thinking. Do you realize that the vast majority of divorces... The vast majority of suicides, the vast majority of abuses of one kind or another happened because someone's thinking got off track. They stopped thinking the way God designed us to think, and they got off track thinking the way the world thinks, thinking in terms of me, my, I want, why can't I have, I deserve. Y'all realize it, right? Our thinking absolutely maps our journey. What we think is what we'll do. What we think is what we'll say. I think Christian counselors are more needed now than they've ever been for this one simple reason. Your life isn't hard enough to distract you away from the thought that you can have things that aren't necessary. When you're fighting to eat, when you're scraping a living out of the ground, you don't have time to think about why can't you have a better house than someone else has got. How come I can't go on the vacations that they get to go on? When you're just scraping by to dig out of the ground a living and you see God provide in a very direct way through the produce that comes out of the ground or through the animals that you're able to to raise and to put meat on the table, you become disconnected. From, from the reality of life, and you begin to take the blessings of God for granted. And when those blessings don't come, 
roots of bitterness crop up within us. I'm not trying to be a, so, a, a psychologist this morning. This is what I'm telling you. One of the greatest struggles you and I have is keeping our thoughts on the straight and narrow. It's keeping our thoughts on the straight and narrow. Because I promise you this. If everyone loved their neighbor as their self, there'd be no armed robberies. If everyone loved their neighbor as their self, there'd be no need for police officers to carry weapons. If everyone loved their neighbor as their self, we wouldn't have the abject, disparaging difference in, uh, in classes of people. And by the way, I'll say this. If you take a look back in, in American history, the government replaced the church in caring for those who needed care. And once we set up, once we as a government set up a governmentally funded way to take care of the indigent, everyone else stepped back and said, oh, that's the government's job. I got news for you. You need to read this passage very, 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 very carefully. He said to love your neighbor as yourself, not to demand that your government love your neighbor as yourself. tell you what's happened. Number one, the bare minimum, the bare minimum of loving your neighbor as yourself has now become exceptional. Those things that we used to just, we used to just take for granted, sharing from a, from a garden, keeping an eye on someone who we knew was out of work, Give, sharing with them from the bounty God's given us. Those kind of things, that used to be normal and natural. I can remember stories of my grandfather telling me about times when he and my grandmother, who were rearing a lot of children, they, they needed some help, but they never asked. There were people who lived around them who noticed and who, who assisted without even having to be asked. I'll never forget the story of a gentleman that I used to do some work for in Cleveland, Tennessee. When he died, uh, he was an elderly gentleman. He actually worked at the Chattanooga Times, Chattanooga News Free Press, Chattanooga Times. Uh, he was a typesetter. He, would, he and his wife both worked at the paper. They would get up and drive very, very, very early in the morning to drive to the, to the newspaper office to typeset and print the day's news. And it came out in the afternoon. And there were some gentlemen who, you, who got hired down there because he gave the company their name, and they were destitute. They had virtually nothing. And this is the story I heard standing at the man's funeral. He said, I remember many nights meeting them. I had to walk to a place to meet them. They would pick me up in their car and drive me to Chattanooga from Cleveland, Tennessee, to go to work at the newspaper. And when I got there, there was a lunch bucket prepared for me. They not only drove me to work, they made sure that I had lunch. I had, I had something to eat while I was there. And I'll never, this sticks in my mind. It's one of those moments that just likes to get branded there. He looked, at, he looked around and with tears in his eyes, he says, you don't ever forget things like that. How many of those moments do you have in your life? better question. How many moments are you creating in the lives of others? 
the bare minimum in our, in our society has now become exceptional. I read this yesterday. It was, it was posted on Facebook. And I know a lot of y'all don't like Facebook, and that's okay. You don't have to. I'm, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. This lady of color walks into a, a, a evidently a small mom-and-pop operated kind of minute market. And when she walks in, there's a, a, an older lady working behind the counter, and there are two police officers standing there, one much older, one younger. And they make eye contact. They were talking before she came in, but the minute she came in, all the conversation ceased, and they all were just kind of looking at one another. And she said so she turned, and she went down the aisle. She got her items, and as she was coming to the front, the older police officer looked at her and said, How you doing? She said, I'm okay. And then he said it again, but a little differently. He said, Really? How you doing? She said, I'm tired. He said, I think we're all tired. And he hugged her. You know what bothers me about that story? What bothers me about that story is that that should not even be noteworthy. That should be so small as to not even be noteworthy. And yet we put it out there like it's some great thing. That should be the norm. That should be the norm, not the exception. Would you agree with me on that? Compassion has been replaced by analysis. Rather than having compassion on the man who's lying there, the priest comes down the street, takes a good look, crosses to the other side because... I really don't want to be bothered with that. It doesn't say why he did. It just says he did. And then the Levi comes down the street. He sees the guy. He passes by on the other side. Why? I don't know. All I know is this. There was a Samaritan who came by, and Scripture is very clear. It said he had compassion. I've been guilty of analysis. Anyone who works with me knows when we get another request, for some other something or other, one of the first things that runs through my mind is, is this legitimate? And if you've ever done this uh, at all, been responsible to make some of those calls, it's just one of the first things that runs through your mind. Is this legitimate? I had a conversation with, with Kara. We were talking about a particular lady who called and who was asking for help. And I, I'm, what, what she said really rung in my head. Uh, Kara said, I know she's probably on meth, but she's got kids. What do you do? I say we love the kids, amen? amen? Parents can be stupid if they want to. Kids don't have a choice. How's that? Parents can be stupid if they want to. Kids don't have a choice. So if it comes down to making sure a kid gets something to eat or not making sure that a kid gets something to eat, feed the kid. Amen? You can analyze this stuff to death. Well, now, if we didn't give them food, then they wouldn't have the money to spend on meth. And I just simply say, you don't know drug addicts. Because they would spend money on meth and not eat. And if they didn't eat, the kids wouldn't eat. We live in a twisted and messed up world, and we need a few more good Samaritans rather than holier-than-thou judges. Can I have an amen? Amen. amen. 
There's a lot, there's a list of good reasons that sometimes not to get involved. Something like, well, it's not my job. Somebody else will do it. Y'all ever heard that, by the way? Yeah. There are programs for people like that. Yeah, how about evangel how about evangelism? How about this program? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you like to be free of your, the burden of your sin? Would you like for the power of God to fill you and help you get out of this lifestyle? Oh, no, we call the preacher for that. And then my favorite, well, it's their own fault. Man, that just rings. I, I see the looks on faces. I'm not trying to make you mad. I'm trying to make you think. There's a list of other things that I have to do. Well, I don't have time to stop and help with that. I've got to go to church. i got an appointment I can't miss. I, I don't have the time to, to help you right now. I, I don't. And then there's the oldie, but good. You know, I just really can't take the chance. Really? It was morning, and it was raining. And I was on my way to school in Chattanooga back when I was going to Tennessee Temple University and coming off White Oak Mountain down into Ottawa. Many of you have driven that many times. As you get to the bottom of the hill, there's a, there's a, a bridge that's about a quarter of a mile or so out. And just past that bridge, there was a, a, a car pulled over. It was a... It, I don't mean to be offensive to anybody, but it was an old person's car. Y'all know an old person's car when you see an old person's car? Well, this was back in the day when an old person's car was a Chevrolet Caprice. You know, the big battleship? And I saw the car, and there was a car in the lane to my left I couldn't get over. And so the car's sitting on the, on the side of the freeway. Lights are flashing. It's sprinkling rain. And I noticed that there was a flat tire on the rear. So uh, as, as I passed, you know, you do the little glance, see who's in there. And it was a little bitty old man and a little bitty old woman, and they were just sitting there. I thought, God help them people. They don't, they, he, can't, he can't change a tire. So I did a stupid thing. I whipped that car over to the right-hand shoulder, put my flashers on, and I backed up the freeway, backed up to within just a good bit of them. And I got out of the car, and it was beginning to rain a little harder. And I run up, roll the window down. He cracked it about that far. <laughs> I'm getting wet. He cracked it that far. I said, let me have your keys. I'll change your tire. Open the trunk. He hands the key. At one time, I thought he popped it, but I don't think he did. He handed me the key. I immediately went back and handed him the key in the window. And I went back there, and I got the, got the spare out. I moved around to the side, got the car jacked up, and got the tire off, put, put the, 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 uh, the, the new tire on, let the car down, went around the back, laid the spare up in the, in the trunk, picked up the jack, took it all apart. Y'all remember them big jacks, right? Them great big, kind of got the stob about that long. Picked the, picked the jack up, laid it in the trunk, went in there, and slammed the deck lid to hear, vroom. He left me standing in the rain without even so much as a thank you. So what? I promise you, if that little old man had gotten out of the car to change his own tire, he'd have got hit. 
He, he was frail. She was frail. Let me tell you, good Samaritans don't need a thank you. Good Samaritans just do what needs to be done because it needs to be done. And if you take a good look at this guy in this particular story, that's exactly what happens. He sees another human being in need. He didn't stop to measure whether he was white, black, oriental, or whatever else. He did the best he could with first aid. He put him on his own personal transportation and got him somewhere where he, the guy could get in out of the weather and rest. Oh, guess what else he did? He put everything else in his life on hold because if you read the story, he stayed with him overnight. It was the next day when he got up to leave. We don't want to be inconvenienced from getting one place to another. I'm telling you, loving our neighbor as ourself involves some personal sacrifice, the willingness to be inconvenienced, and the willingness to simply appreciate another human life because it bears the image of God. You realize that is the one thing that everyone you've heard about this past week had in common. Every single one of them bears in their body the image of God. When you read the, the, the moment of creation, God said, let us make man in our image. Human life is precious if for no other reason there is some, there's some quality to it that bears the very image of God. Human life is not cheap, cannot be taken as cheap, should never be viewed as cheap. Human life is precious. And the ability to live a human life and to aid another human in this walk and to be that good Samaritan is even more precious. Christians have simply forgotten the taste of helplessness along the way. I need to remind you that there was a point in time when you were in sin and it had you beaten down and left you dying. Your wounds needed to be bandaged. Your fear-filled heart needed to be soothed. And you couldn't move because of weakness or pain. Christ came to your side and moved you from death unto life. He bore you on his own back on the nails in his hands and feet and took you to a place of life and healing and wholeness. You had nothing of worth with which to pay for your own care. And yet Jesus took you anyway. I think the other thing we've forgotten is this, and I'm going to be done. This is not optional. Being a good Samaritan, as it is portrayed in this passage, is not optional. Would you please, if you've got your Bible still open... Read with me verse number 27. I need you to read it with me. So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then there's a three-letter word there. Now, I know because I used to watch Schoolhouse Rock on Saturday morning, that that is called a conjunction. And conjunctions go like this. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up words with phrases and clauses. Y'all remember that? 
Y'all remember that, don't you? Of all the things you ever thought you heard your pastor sing on Sunday morning, it wasn't that, was it? No, but I tell you what, that A and D, that conjunction in there, means that everything that's in front of the conjunction is of equal weight to everything that's behind the conjunction. It's an and. It's not an or. It's not a but. It's an and. So, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Christians have forgotten that it's a command. It is a command. It is not optional. It has nothing to do with whether they love you. It has everything to do with your love for God being expressed and poured out as a blessing on the life of others whom God loves. You can't love God and hate your neighbor. You hate your neighbor? I'm telling you right now, there's a, there's a major black spot in your love. Guys, we've got, to, we've got to recognize it's a command. What's happening to the Good Samaritans? Well, we've begun to accept less than we really ought to. We look at the bare minimum as exceptional. Our compassion has been replaced by wondering whether or not somebody's trying to take advantage of us. As Christians, we've forgotten what it's like to be the helpless one. And then we've forgotten that this is not optional. This is a command. I don't know any other way to say that. It's a command. Somebody said, well, preacher, what does that have to do with the world in which, I'm, in which we're living? What does that have to do with all these movements and things and everybody hating one another? Do you believe that God can take a simple act of obedience in you? And do something great? Do you believe that? Well, David couldn't remember the words, but I'm going to tell you. Little is much if God is in it. Labor not for wealth nor fame. Remember that? We don't labor for wealth nor fame. If everyone was a good Samaritan and reached out to the people in their, their circle of influence, and even folks they don't know, we wouldn't walk around with such a suspicious eye on everyone else. I'll finish with this. Are you, this morning, actively loving God and loving others? Now, I put that word actively in there for a reason. Because you can say you love someone, but what are you doing that gives evidence that you love someone. You can say you love God, but loving God and then taking his name in vain, those two, those two statements don't mesh. Loving God and hating those who God loves, that, that don't mesh. Are you actively loving God and loving others? Sometimes it's this simple. Sometimes it's standing behind a young mother in the grocery store. And she's only got so much left on her food stamp card. And she realizes she's going to be $5 short. And she starts trying to sort through her groceries to figure out which items to leave. Sometimes it's as simple as saying, how much is she short? Put that on my tab because Jesus put me on his. 
Sometimes it's as simple as seeing a neighbor who, for whatever reason, just been absent. You haven't seen them. Go knock on a door. How you doing? You may find out that they're just fine, that they just haven't been feel like being out in public. But you may find out that there's a need, and you may be in a unique position to help them. You see, it has everything to do with not focusing on the person in the mirror and instead focusing on the person who's in front of you. This morning, my challenge to you is this. We can change our world if we will embrace the biblical role of being the Good Samaritan. Are you willing to do that this morning as we pray? Father, I ask you this morning to burn it in our heart that we can be agents of change in this world by extending the love of Jesus to each and every person we meet. God, we're so quick to judge on, the, on, on someone's appearance. We're so quick to discount because we think we understand why a person's life is, is going down the tubes. Sometimes, God, we'll we, we be honest and confess this morning, we just don't want to be bothered. We got things to do, places to go, people to see. And God, sometimes we're just... We're not very open to being a good Samaritan. Lord, I pray this morning that you would burn in our heart that the world in which we're living is the one we help build because we have embraced the same bad neighbor mentality as everyone else. God, may we take it. May we own it. May we begin to practice in a way that would cause people to say, God is at work and alive in that person. That has to be the hand of God. Father, would you please break our hearts this morning. May our attachment to our stuff, our time, our schedules, may, th may, those, may that attachment begin to be weakened and broken, that we would, be, we would be looking for an opportunity to love on somebody who you already love. God, would you please burn this in us? For if this is not burned in us, I fear that our country will burn to the ground. We are part of the problem. May we be part of the solution. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As Brother David comes and begins to sing, I'm going to invite you to come. The invitation is very simple this morning. Are you willing to let God use you to be the neighbor that matches what this man is in Scripture? If you are, maybe it's time to rededicate your life. Maybe it's time to renew your vision, whatever it is. This time is for you. Would you please come as we begin to sing?